Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. I've asked my wife to read our text for us this morning. This is our life. There's an app for that teaching series. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we'll be looking at verses 21 through 33, talking about marriage this weekend and next weekend. Let me begin with a quote from Chris Rock. Actually, it's a question. He asks the question, do you want to be single and lonely or married and bored? And uh, what's interesting about that question is that uh, we are seeing a trend in our society. Many young adults believe that these are the only two options. I'm convinced otherwise, and I know that many of you are too, that God's purpose and plan for us through the gospel of Jesus Christ is perfectly loving, infinitely wise, and gives us the power to be either married or unmarried very, very well. And so this week, next week, we're going to look at a, really it's a summary of the eight chapters Nancy and I taught in a marriage class at the beginning of this year. It was on uh, Timothy and Kathy Keller's book, The Meaning of Marriage. And um, it's based on this text. It's probably one of the best books on this text that I have read. And so we'll be looking at the first four this week, next four next week. I'll talk to you about that in a minute. But let's begin with a word of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's begin with prayer. Father God, you sent your Son, our Savior, Jesus, to give us fullness of life. And your love, your love for us is better than anything in life, whether we are married or unmarried. God, we know your Holy Word tells us that marriage is your idea to reflect your saving love, to refine our character, and to create a nurturing environment to raise children. Therefore, help us to make every effort to understand and submit to your purposes for it and to be a light in this dark world that is drifting further and further away from it. And we pray these things for your glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. 
Here's where we're headed with this uh, teaching this morning. We're going to look at the secret of marriage, the power of marriage, the essence of marriage, and the mission of marriage. Next week, we will look at the tools of marriage, the roles of marriage, singleness in marriage, sex in marriage. Next week. Can't wait. Sounds like fun. So this morning, it's a good one. Let's look at, first of all, the secret of marriage. The secret of marriage, here's your first fill in the blank. Based on this text that we just read, the secret of marriage is that it is the reenactment, reenactment of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The secret of marriage is that it is the reenactment of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible's very clear about that. We get this from verse 32. Actually, we get it from this whole text. But in particular to uh, verse 32 where it says, this mystery, when you look at the full range of lexical meanings to the word mystery, you can also uh, say secret. So this mystery, this secret is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So he's just saying that this marriage relationship should be reflecting uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you this question. If you, if you ever work through the Scriptures, you start at Genesis at the beginning of the year, and as you work through it, one of the things that you find that kind of stands out to you is that right at the very front in the book of Origins, you have a wedding. Why does the topic of marriage show up so early in the book of Genesis? Have you ever given that much thought? And then what's interesting about it, not only is it so quick and seems so early, but then as you work your way through the Scripture and you get to the end of the book, End of the Bible, book of Revelation, kind of the end of all things, actually the beginning of, of all the great things, you have a wedding. So it begins with a wedding, the wedding of Adam and Eve, and then it ends with a big wedding. You think that's significant? I think it is. In fact, the wedding that it ends with, anybody have any idea what big wedding that we will get a chance to go to, those of us that have put our faith in Jesus Christ? It's the it's the wedding supper of the Lamb. It's actually uh, Christ as the groom and the church as the bride. It's a seven-year celebration. It's un unbelievable when you read it. It's, just, it's, almost, it's breathtaking. So why does it begin with a wedding and then it ends with a wedding? I think that uh, the marriage is pretty significant. In fact, I believe that the marriage is to be a reenactment of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in fact, I believe there's a couple things here. I believe the reason why you, it, it starts off with a wedding, and in Genesis 2, 24 through 25, it says, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And the man and woman were both naked, and they felt no shame. That's what those verses are saying. And, and I believe that that topic of marriage shows up so early in the book of Genesis because, listen to me, as the marriage goes... So goes the family. And as the family goes, so goes society. How goes society? Not so good. Why is that? What's the root problem? It's a marriage relationship. It's fundamental. It's foundational. In fact, not only is it foundational, fundamental, not only uh, is the marriage the marriage relationship, a primary, but it is a picture. And so it should not surprise us. It's a picture of the gospel, that is. It shouldn't surprise us. Satan's assault on the institution of marriage shouldn't surprise us in the least bit. Most of you are familiar with what happened just here within the last week or so with the whole Chick-fil-A ordeal. 
And what was interesting about the the owner um, and the, uh, I guess, COO, uh, he was on a Christian radio uh, station um, exercising his First Amendment rights. And somebody took that and blasted it throughout, you know, the media, and what amazing hatred was spewed out. And, and the tendency, it can typically, it, sometimes because people don't really understand the gospel, they, they can tend to spew it the other way too in a wrong response to what people are saying. But that shouldn't surprise us that the enemy would do everything he can to undermine the institution of marriage because it is not only foundational, but it is a reenactment of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if he can destroy that which is to picture the gospel that would draw hearts and lives to Jesus, why not undermine that institution? And that's why there's such a severe attack, and that's why we see our country going the direction that it is going. And so it's critical that we understand God's purpose for the institution, very sacred institution of marriage. And, and so as we talk about marriage, it's, it's all, all, always important to establish what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches this, that marriage is to be a lifelong monogamous relationship between a man and a woman. Now, I understand that there are those that are out there, very liberal uh, churches and Christians that would teach otherwise, but they're not teaching the Bible. That's why they're teaching something that's other than that definition for marriage. And, um, and so out of God's love and wisdom, knowing what is best for us, having our best interest at heart, knowing how he created us, this is what he has established for us. And really, that's what uh, this guy, Chick-fil-A uh, president, I guess he's the son of the actual originator, the owner of the, of the organization, that's what he was establishing. He was saying that, but unbelievable hatred. And of course, we are to always respond, uh, you overcome evil with good, don't become like the evil being done to you. The Bible makes that very clear, 12th chapter of Romans. And so it's important that we always keep that in mind. But the secret of marriage is that it's the reenactment of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And underneath each of these statements, I've got three uh, ideas to help us to apply this to our life. So what does that mean? Here's what it means. The secret of a great marriage, that's your fill in the blank, next fill in the blank. The secret of a great marriage is to do for your spouse what God has done for you, and the rest will follow. And... uh so let me say that again. The secret of a great marriage is to do for your spouse what God has done for you. And I'm convinced the rest will follow. Now, I've, I've done a lot of counseling through the years. We take a lot of couples through what is known as a prepare and rich program. It's really one of the best programs I've ever seen. And in my counseling, and even when I look at my own marriage relationship, I always kind of categorize problems in one of two categories. All problems that married couples deal with can fit into one of these two categories. There's A problems, category A. There's B problems, category B problems. Category B problems would be uh, conflict resolution, communication, compatibility issues, things uh, you know such as what we do with our leisure time, our money, parenting, uh, in-laws, how we deal with that. That would be the B problems. You will never be able to deal with the B problems until you deal with the A problem. What is the A problem? The A problem is your attitude. Your A problem is how you are treating one another. Are you treating each other with honor? 
honesty and humility with utmost respect. And the only way you're going to be able to do that, and which is interesting because I've, I've sat down with couples and they're, I mean, they got a major dogfight going on between them. I got, well, I have to say, wait, 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 wait. We're going to, we're going to deal with this problem, but let's first of all talk about how you're talking to each other. How you're relating to each other. Do you not even understand what the gospel is about, all about? Jesus died for you. And you're trying to kill each other. Something's wrong with this equation. Do you understand the gospel? Do you understand what Jesus has done for you? If you do and you live in the reality of that, that will change your heart. And it'll change the way you respond and you re react to, to the people in your life. And so you deal with that first, first thing. The secret of a great marriage is to, is to do for your spouse what God has done for you in Jesus. Next point on your notes. Jesus' sacrificial love for you is both the pattern and power for you to sacrificially love your spouse. You will never, ever be able to deal with all the issues that you face in a marriage relationship until you first deal with the first and most important issue. And that's just how you're talking to each other, how you're relating with each other. The heart that you have, a sacrificial heart of love, you cannot have, unless you have a cradle of security in your marriage relationship, you will not have those moments of vulnerability that are necessary to work through the issues. But it all goes back to the gospel. It all goes back to your understanding and living in the reality of it. Now, this next point, the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ and his amazing dream come true, filling us with laughter and shouts of joy. One of the things I do for my devotions, my daily devotions, and I, I love doing this because it takes me a while to get up, wake up, and, uh, and I used to be early morning riser, but the older I get, I think the more, more it's harder for me to get up. I don't know what the deal is. Uh, or get awake. Actually, I can get up, but it's just like wake up. You know, it takes me a while. So what I do is that I go to the U version. I've got that as an app and I, I listen to the Bible. Boy, it just helps me. It just kind of gets stokes of fire. And so I'll, I'll go through the Bible a couple times a year just by doing that. Just listening to a chapter in the Old Testament, a couple chapters in the Old Testament, a couple chapters in the New Testament, Proverbs and Psalms. Always that sequence. And man, the Lord just so vividly speaks to me during that time and wakes me up. And there's nothing better than to be awakened by the love of who God is in the gospel and kind of helps to start the day. And certainly there are some times that, it, you know, it barely makes an impact in my life. And then there are other times it just stands out and it just hits me and just impacts my life. And there was a, there was a chapter that a couple weeks ago that that I had read it many times before, but boy, the Lord just hit me with it. And it was the, it's the chapter that I put down right here as an understanding of the gospel. It's Psalm 126, verses 1 and 2. And it basically says this, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, and then it goes on, it says, we were like people who were dreaming. We thought we were dreaming when he restored our fortunes. And then he goes on, he says, and our, our mouths were filled with laughter and shouts of joy. And I'd read through that, go, oh, yeah, good for them. That's great, wonderful. And then I started thinking, wait a minute, and it was almost like the Lord said, wait a minute, the Old Testament, that's a picture of New Testament principles. Don't you understand? The Old Testament points ahead to Jesus. The New Testament points back to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And do you know what kind of fortune you have in him? If you had any idea the fortune you had in him, you would say, I must be dreaming. This is unbelievable what I have in Jesus Christ. And it would so fill your mouth with, as it says here, with laughter and shouts of joy. And of course, it was both convicting to me because I thought, wow, I don't always live there. <laughs> Sometimes seldom. 
And yet it was very compelling because they go, oh God, help me to live there. Help me to understand the gospel. And I'm telling you, when you understand that, when you understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is an amazing dream come true, that you have been, you have been invited into the most amazing, intimate, personal relationship of all times, and that's a relationship with the, with the creator of the universe, that he loves you and that he invites you into this relationship. Oh, by the way, you were eternally separated from him, and there was nothing you could do to, to bridge that gap, but, but Jesus gave his life for you so that you could have intimacy with the Father, never ever to be broken. Nothing can ever separate you from his love. He will never leave you or forsake you. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. That should cause us to think, am I dreaming? Is this for real? Because there's no other message on this planet, no other, no other religion that would even come close to saying that except for Christianity. And so, therefore, it should fill our mouths with laughter and shouts of joy. And see, that, that, my friends, is what helps you to be able then to respond to the people in your life appropriately. And so that's the secret of marriage is reenactment of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The power for marriage is... Spirit-filled life. The spirit-filled life. Um, I get this actually from a verse 21. You'll notice that we started with the verse that we ended on last week. We talked about spirit-filled life. You can still download that message online. But verse 21, it says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, do you find this, uh, is this a coincidence that Paul goes from spirit-filled submission to the duties of husbands and wives? Oh, 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 by the way, Pastor Ray, I was, I thought that submission was only what women are supposed to do. You know, wives, uh, 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 wait, wait, what does it say here? Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul goes from spirit-filled submission to the duties of husbands and wives. And oh, by the way, let me, let me explain to you once again how this book is laid out. It's really phenomenal. Paul, in writing the book to the church in Ephesus, he starts with the first three chapters which deal with our amazing wealth that we have in Jesus Christ. The riches. That, that the fortune we have, he, he, he has restored our fortunes, so to speak, through Jesus Christ. And so it begins there, and then out of that, he says, oh, by the way, if you really believe this, this is how it's going to be different in your life. This is how you're going to live out your life. And so and then he talks about the spirit-filled life, as we talked about last week, and then he goes from there to talking, to talking about, he goes from husbands and wives, duties of husbands and wives, that's what we're talking about these two weeks, and then talks about parenting and uh Two weeks, we will talk about parenting and work, and then he ends with spiritual warfare. Woo, what a great way to end the book, huh? But what is, he gonna, what is he saying there? He's saying it's a fight. It's a battle. It's a battle to get the gospel deep in your heart so you're living it out in such a way that it makes an impact in your marriage, in your parenting, in your work, every aspect of your life. So that's kind of how it's laid out. So the power for marriage... This is the Spirit-filled life. Let me give you the next... Uh, oh, wait, 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 wait. Don't put it up there yet. Woohoo! Stop them before they did it. I want you to turn to the person next to you and see if you can identify uh, what is the main barrier to a servant's heart in a marriage relationship. Fundamentally, what, why do we have... You know, if you're sitting out there and you're going, wow, why do we have a lot of conflict? And I can't figure out why we have all this conflict. Well, there's kind of a one-word answer to that. Why do you think couples have so much conflict? What's fundamentally, foundationally wrong there? Real quick, discuss it with the folks sitting around you. What would be the fill-in-the-blank there for that? Okay, okay. How many use that as an opportunity to turn to the person that you're married to and say, you are? 
you're fundamentally what's wrong with this marriage. <laughs> yeah, Pastor Ray, I know the answer. It's my wife. <laughs> wrong. Wrong effect. Let me give you the fill in the blank here. The main barrier to a servant's heart that is sacrificial love is self-centeredness. I heard some of you talking about it's pride, selfishness, self-centeredness. And check this out. Justified by past hurts. Justified by pastors. And let me, let me explain that. Let me walk you through that. So the main barrier to a servant's heart, sacrificial love, is self-centeredness. Listen to me. Exacerbated, justified by past hurts. If you get the living daylights beat out of you in relationships growing up, when you entered into this world, we we're naturally self-centered, and we're gonna, life is going to be all about us. But then if you get beat up in life through your upbringing, through relationships, whatever, all that's going to do is reinforce your self-centeredness. You're going to be self-absorbed. You're going to be even more so self-absorbed. It's really kind of a self-preservation. And so the, the, you're going to be even that much more preoccupied with yourself because you're trying to protect yourself. Because you've been beat up in life. So that's why. And so what happens oftentimes is that we have self-centeredness and we tend to, we, we can easily justify it from past hurts. So it's critical that we work through the past hurts. See, those broken in severe ways typically have thick self-protective layers around their hearts that are very hard to penetrate. Trust and health are built very slowly. So. I know that there's a number of you that have gotten the, the living daylights beat out of you in growing up, came from abusive homes. Some of you have had abusive relationships, marriage relationships. I understand that. And I'm just telling you, it is, it is critical. Listen to me. It's critical that you get healed up. It's critical that you allow God to bring healing to your heart. Because what happens is that you tend to, because you can't trust anybody, and I can understand that. You can't trust. You've been violated. You've been hurt. You've been devastated. So, so the tendency is to not to be able to trust anybody. But that's not, that's not the answer, is not to trust anybody and just to isolate yourself completely. What that does is just reinforces your, your hurt, and you continue to be self-absorbed, and uh, that doesn't bring the healing. Here's, here's, my, here's my answer to you. It was another verse that I came across a couple weeks ago that just the Lord hit me with. And I think, I really believe it's, from, from many of you here this morning, it's found in Psalm 147, 147, 3 through 4. Everybody look up here just for a minute. And, and I know that this is for some of you that have been really devastated by life. You need to hear this. The one who numbers and names the stars, and we're talking billions and billions of stars, the one who names and numbers the stars, can heal your broken heart and bind up your wounds. He can. He can bring healing to you. He can. And then you can begin to trust again. And then this is what happens. This is what's so cool about it. And that's, that's actually from that text. That's, that's kind of a paraphrase of, of Psalm 147, 3 through 4. And here's what is amazing about that, is that then you stop being so self-absorbed and you become more God-absorbed and you begin to focus on God and your life becomes about His glory and then your heart just gets filled up with him and becomes more about him. And, uh, and then you can, you can risk trusting again. Because, because the one 
that matters most in the universe loves you, adores you, and thinks the world of you. And you, you, you and so out of that, out of that, you can begin to work through that. And, and you guys know this: that relationships are only as healthy as the individuals that make up those relationships. Would you agree with that? So therefore, individual wholeness is the key to healthy relationships. So one of the best things you can do for your relationship is for you to get healthy and whole. Is to, is to get, seek counseling, to work through the issues, to deal with the past hurts, because you just, you just carry that into the next relationship, that inability to be able to trust, that hardness around your heart. And so God can bring healing to you. By the way, He typically brings healing in community. Well, that's how I got hurt. I, I know that. That's what makes it so difficult. But it's in the context of community is where you're going to, you're going to find the healing. Here's the next point on your notes. To be spirit-filled is to have the truths about Jesus, his sacrificial love for us, uh, truths about Jesus clear to our minds and real to our hearts. So that's what we talked about in the spirit-filled life this last, uh, this last weekend. So, so it's one thing to know that Jesus loves you. He died for you. We sang those songs. I'm, you know, that one song that we sang about a child in awe of you. I love that song. That's a great song because that's awe. There's at times it's just like, oh, I'm a child in love with God and what he's done for us. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to have the experience on your heart where you are living in the reality of it. And when you do that, see, that's a spirit-filled life. That when you have that, when you're experiencing that, you can be loving to even unloving people. You know, the people aren't going to give you love back because you're, you have your love philanthropy. You know, it's just, you're just overflowing with the love of God and, and, and what He's about and who He is. And see, by the, by the way, let me just say this real quick that your primary uh, source of love needs to be Jesus. Because if your spouse is your primary source of love, and when they're not very loving, which there will certainly be seasons in your marriage relationship where they won't be, then you can still be loving in spite of how they're doing. Because they're not your primary source of love. He is. That's the spirit-filled life. That God is your primary source of love. That's why you can overcome evil with good. That's why you don't become like the evil that's being done to you. It's because you're so filled up with the love of God. Now, that does not mean you let people run over you. In fact, that's not being very loving. It's not loving to allow someone to sin against you. By the way, it's not loving to let someone be lazy in the relationship either. Not being loving, you would challenge them. You love them because you want to have closer, more intimate relationship with them. So there's that challenge in that, but you, you do that with love because... To be spirit-filled is to have the truths about Jesus, his sacrificial love for us, clear to our minds, real to our hearts. That means this, less of me, less self-absorbed, and more God-absorbed. And when I'm absorbed with the majesty and the beauty of Jesus, you can't help but spill out on others. See, that's, that's the gospel. Here's the next one. Without a continual refilling of your heart, refilling, continual refilling of your heart, your submission to the interest of others, will be virtually impossible without being resentful. So you become a little resentful because I busted my backside for this marriage relationship and you're not doing one stinking thing. Sound familiar? Yeah, we've, we've all lived there. Thank you for that. <laughs> we, we've all been there. It's like, man, how much more do I have to do for this gal? 
she just isn't get, getting it, and nor am I. And, uh, and so, so without a continual refilling of your heart with the sacrificial love of Christ, your submission to the interest of others, sacrificial love, will be virtually impossible to accomplish for any length of time without being resentful. See, this is a... It's called a, C.S. Lewis called it a blessed self-forgetfulness. And in fact, he even said that it's not that you think less of yourself, but you think of yourself less. If you want to pick up a good resource, this is what we give to our uh, newcomers, but if you've been hanging out with us for any length of time, if you're here this morning, drop by the information and pick one of these up. It's called, it's by Timothy Keller, it's The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, The Path to True Christian Joy. It's a great book, and it really talks about that. It goes into that in more detail. That's yours. Just pick it up. Our gift to you. And, uh, and so marriage doesn't put us in conflict with our spouse as much as it puts us in conflict with our own sinful nature and our self-centeredness. Gives opportunity for God to bring that to the surface to show us just really how self-centered we are. So the secret of marriage, reenactment of the gospel, the power of marriage, the spirit-filled life. Here's the, here's the third one. The essence of marriage is covenant love. And you're saying, well, what does that word essence mean? What does that mean? Essence of marriage, it, uh, it means this, the intrinsic nature, the indispensable quality, what characterizes marriage, the essence of marriage is covenant love. We get that from verse 31, actually from the whole text, but look at verse 31 where it says, therefore a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast. King James Version uses another word. Anybody familiar with that? Cleave? Yeah, it says cleave or hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So the word hold fast helps us to understand covenant. Uh, the Hebrew uh, means this. Listen to me. It literally means to be glued to something, to unite to someone through a covenant, a binding promise, or an oath. So this is what it means. When you stand before God and the person performing the ceremony and all your witnesses that are there and you say, I do, that means that you have entered into a covenant relationship and the big D word should never be in your vocabulary. You guys know what I'm talking about? D word? Divorce. You don't go there. You don't even think about it. You don't even talk about it. It's not even an option. Think about this just for a minute. If in my relationship with my wife, I'm kind of walking around on eggshells and I'm afraid whether she's in or out, and if I do certain things, she's out of here, she told me that, I'm not going to be very vulnerable with her, am I? I'm not going to be very open. Therefore, that pretty much undermines, that insecurity undermines any level of intimacy and closeness and, and openness and honesty. But if I know she said, when she said, I do, that was till death do us part. And when I said I do, that means until we die. Ugh. I didn't say that right, did I? <laughs> it could be that until I tell one of us kill each other or something. But till death do us part, until that Tell that time. I mean, that's what we mean by that. And if, and if I have that understanding, she has that understanding, we can be open and honest and that we can work through our stuff. Once again, you have those, you have that cradle of security for those moments of vulnerability that you need for greater levels of intimacy and maturity in the marriage relationship. 
And so that's, that's what he's saying. Cleave. Super glue. Shut the back door. Don't even think about it. You're going to work on this till you die. That's what he's saying. So therefore, it creates this uh, environment so that you can be open. Now, here's what's interesting is that oftentimes when we talk about marriage and, and getting this legal piece of paper, this is what I've heard. Why do we need a marital legal piece of paper to love one another? We don't need one of those because we love one another. I've heard that on TV. I've heard it from a lot of people. How many by show of hands would say that you've actually heard people say that before? Show of hands? Yeah, look at all the hands. And that's, that's kind of prevalent in our society today because more and more couples are uh, less and less are getting married and more and more are just living together. Oh, we don't need a piece of paper to show that we're committed to one another, that we love one another. And I would say, yes, it all depends on how you define love. If you have a superficial, shallow understanding of love, then yeah, that might work fine for you. But it's not what God intends and it goes contrary to what he has to say. In fact, let me, let me give you the next couple fill-in-the-blanks on the notes. The Bible defines love primarily by not how much you get, by, but by how much you are willing to give to someone. So, so Bible definition of love, would I classify what you're doing as love? No, I wouldn't, actually. I would say it's all about you. It's all about lust. In fact, you don't even really understand what love is, is what I would say. Because the Bible defines love primarily not how much you get. It's not about your feelings. It's not what this person could do for you. But by how much you are willing to give to someone. First Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, talks all about that. Love is patient, kind, does not envy, is not, does not boast, is not proud. It goes through this whole list. And then it says it's committed to the end. goes all the way. That's, that's what it's talking about. That's true love. So when a person says, I love you, well, let's not ruin it by getting married. That person really means this. I don't love you enough to close off all of my options. I don't love you enough to give myself to you that thoroughly. See, it's not, it's not covenant love. In fact, we're going to talk about it. It's more of a consumer love. To say, I don't need a piece of paper to love you is basically to say, my love for you has not reached the marriage level. See, if you're singing the song, ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no valley low, whatever, and then you're not willing to sign on the dotted line and make the commitment, you're not even in the game. That's a major contradiction. You don't even understand what love is. Signing, marriage license, that's first base. That's, that's, you're not even in the game until you do that. It doesn't make sense. Oh my goodness, our society is so messed up in their understanding of love. It's not love. It's lust. It's all about them and not about the person that they say that they are so-called committed to. Because it, it goes contrary to what the Bible teaches. And so, um, if you were to come to me and say, okay, Pastor Ray, <laughs> let me ask you this question. Do you remember when you first kissed your wife? I said, of course I do. I'm not that old, okay? And man, it was amazing. Ooh, I planned it all out. I was ready. 
I couldn't wait. Oh my goodness, it was thrilling. And you say, okay, cool. But let me ask you this, 34 years later, do you still get the same thrill? And I would say, no. No, I don't. It's better. It's deeper. It's richer. It's more meaningful. You see, when I kissed her, that original kind of kiss, it was all about me. It was ego. She's into me. Woohoo! Someone loves me. She responded back. I leaned in. She leaned towards me. <laughs> Score. Look at me. <laughs> and through the years, it's become less about she's into me and I'm into her. And I love her. And I am committed to her. And I would cut off my left arm for her. I would give my life for her. See, there's a major difference between, uh, you know, you can have a so-called night of passion and not be willing to make any sacrifices for any person. And it shows that it's all about you and not the other person. But to be absolutely committed to someone else's joy, well-being, happiness, that you would be willing to die for that person, that's a pretty strong feeling. I'm telling you, um, I wish I would have known this uh, years and years ago when we first started. We had to kind of battle our way through a lot of this stuff and this understanding. And so what I'm sharing with you is not only from Tim Keller's book, The Meaning of Life, but a lot of it has to do with my own personal experience and what I've experienced through this. And I'm telling you, my marriage has never been better by God's grace. And man, I'm more in love with my wife now than ever before. So I can tell you, when I kiss her, you know, whoo, it's, there's something there. It's, it's deeper, it's richer, it's more satisfying. That is what God intended. That's the beauty of the marriage relationship. It's sacred, it's holy. And so our, our world has turned it into something that's very profane, casual, no big deal, don't need to, don't need to commit. They don't know what love is. That's why it's so unfulfilling. That's why it's not satisfying. I'm telling you what, God knows what he's doing. He's infinitely wise. He's perfectly loved. He's established it for us. So it's important that we live our lives according to what he says. So here's the deal. Let me give you the next couple fill in the blanks. So, so modern people, let me, let me say this. The essence of marriage isn't a declaration of present love. It's not a promise to feel warm and loving you know, all the time, but it's the binding promise of future love. That's what covenant love is, the binding promise of future love, to be loving and tender and faithful and cherishing and serving, regardless of the ups and downs of emotions and circumstances. It's long-term through thick and thin. So modern people, our society, would say, the purpose of marriage is to make me happy. And so then, therefore they would have a consumer, that's your next fill in the blank, consumer mindset that would say, I'll be the kind of spouse I should be, if and to the degree you'll be the kind of spouse you should be. In other words, they're saying, my needs are more important than the relationship, and I negotiate terms that benefit me that's very self-centered, very conditional. The next fill-in-the-blank is covenant. So here's the contrast, covenant. Covenant relationship basically says, I'll be the spouse I should be, whether or not you're the spouse you should be, and what this is, this is the relationship, covenant relationship. The relationship is more important than my personal needs. I negotiate terms that benefit you. Now, some of you are saying, why would anybody do that? 
Here's why. Covenant relationship. I'll be the spouse I should be, whether or not you're the spouse you should be, because, because, because Jesus gave me spousal love like that. He loved me, not because I was lovely, but in order to make me lovely. And I'll do that. I'll do that for you. See, that's covenant love. I mean, it's, it's packed throughout the Scripture. Romans 5.8, just one example. For God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So I love the way the, uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible for children uh, puts it. It defines covenant love. It says, covenant love is never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Covenant love is never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. It's how God loves you. I want you to watch this video. It's, uh, it's uh, Ian and Larissa. They are a great example of covenant love. Check this out. me to read a couple of quotes from a man named John Piper, who's a, a well-known Bible teacher, and he talks about marriage and how it, this mystery refers to Christ and the church. And he says this, marriage is not mainly about prospering economically. It is mainly about displaying the covenant-keeping love between Christ and his church. He says, knowing Christ is more important than making a living. Treasuring Christ is more important than bearing children. Either way, it is short. It may have many bright days or it may be covered with clouds. But if we set our face to make of marriage mainly what God designed it to be, no sorrows and no calamities can stand in our way. Every one of them will be not an obstacle to success, but a way to succeed. The beauty of the covenant-keeping love between Christ and His church shines brightest when nothing but Christ can sustain it. Ian and I first met in 2005 at college and had a blast for 10 months getting to know each other. And I was looking through and I found one of my favorite pictures, which I think was actually taken right before his accident. He set up a camera on his, his tripod. And it's just a classic Ian face that to me sums up who he is. 
we'd been dating for 10 months and he was working an extra job for his dad and he was on his way to work near Pittsburgh. And we got a phone call that he had been in an accident and we didn't know if it was when he got to work or on his way. And so we got down to Pittsburgh and I was just praying the whole time in the car that it wouldn't be his brain. After being at the hospital for a few hours, we found out that it was, and he had been in brain surgery for a few hours and had suffered a traumatic brain injury. God totally spared his life. One night, he was failing four out of five brain activity tests, and the next morning, he was doing well, and his brain was starting to respond again. I moved in with his family after the accident, so I was really involved in his therapy and just did whatever I could to make his life fun. We'd go out on dates, and looking back, it's weird because he couldn't talk and he couldn't eat. So we probably looked like complete weirdos being on dates, but we had a blast, and I just talked to him all the time. I knew that before Ian's accident, he was very serious about marriage and was ring shopping, so I knew where he was, and that helped me so much after he couldn't talk. I knew that he loved me and I knew where he wanted the relationship to go because we were dating very intentionally. We just prayed that marriage would someday happen and watched all of our friends get married and start having families. That was challenging, but we just tried to hold out hope that that would be us someday. This is our board of gratefulness and we encourage anybody who comes in to Write a note of something they're thankful for. It could be really small. Mine is just Saturday mornings. And it's just a good way that we've found to be just practicing gratefulness. And Ian, I think half of yours say <laughs> my wifey. <laughs> but she's pretty cool. <laughs> We decided that we couldn't really consider marriage as an option until Ian was able to communicate. But if he could communicate with me, then we could have a marriage, knowing it would be really different. But as long as Ian could talk to me, then we could make it work. So once Ian began communicating, it became a little bit more of an option. And then we just kind of watched Ian progress. Uh, Hi, husband. Uh, I like me. I had with his dad. It was one of those conversations where I realized this could happen. Then that August, his dad was diagnosed with brain cancer. And at that point, his dad's biggest concern was Ian and I. And whether or not we were going to get married or step away from our relationship, but he wanted us to make a decision to move our lives in some direction. He passed away before he was able to see us get engaged, but that was a huge impetus in why we started to pursue engagement. Throughout premarital counseling, we just used this momentary marriage. It was so helpful because John Piper talked a lot about primary things and secondary things, which is really important for us because 
when we're walking out our marriage practically, Ian can't do the secondary things like working or making a meal for me. Everything that's primary, though, he can do, which is leading me spiritually. Ian always comes back to the foundational truths of who God is and kind of reels me back in for my emotions. And that's the most important thing. We have two friends that we're going through the book with. I think we've just been able to help them see that maybe the little things that they're excited for about marriage are worth being excited about, but they're not the the end all and be all of their marriage. But we also have so much to learn and we're learning from them and things that they share because our relationships are different and we can glean different things from each other. I think what helped us in deciding to make this commitment to each other, at least for me, is knowing that Ian wouldn't have left me if the roles were reversed and that we love each other and we know that God's going to be faithful to our marriage. We're able to love each other with, I think, a more Christ-like love because of Ian's disability and just understand that picture a little bit better than if you were healthy. Yeah. Agree. Yes. What about God enables you to have have a happy marriage? You know. What? He's awesome. He's awesome. Yeah. powerful example of covenant love and also the reenactment of the gospel with Jesus Christ. And uh, you can download that book uh, online from Desiring God. It's a great book. So let's take us to the last one here. So we've got The Secret of Marriage is a reenactment of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Power of Marriage is the Spirit-Filled Life. The Essence of Marriage, Covenant Love. The Mission of Marriage the mission of marriage, friendship with the goal of wholeness. Friendship with the goal of wholeness. We find that in verses 25 through 27. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her. Notice this. So love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why did he do that? That he might sanctify her. That's, that's holiness. That's wholeness. Having cleansed her, how do you do that? Cleansing her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Let me give you the next fill in the blank on your notes. So friendships, friendships provide greater satisfaction than anything that money can buy. The Bible is very clear about that. It's one of the reasons why we push you to get involved in small groups. Genesis 2.18 says it is not good for you to be alone. You need cult to cultivate uh, friendships and relationships that will certainly help in this sanctifying process within your own life. But particularly, marriage relationships should be friendships that provide this goal of, of wholeness. Uh, 
Proverbs 2.17 talks about the companion of your youth. The word companion means best friend, special confidant. Let me, let me just say this real quick. We're going to move on. We'll knock this out. But husbands, let me speak to the husbands. This applies also to the wives too. But husbands, if you are confiding in anyone other than your wife, someone of the opposite sex, you're confiding in them, you're sharing your heart with them at a deeper level than your own wife, that's adultery. It's wrong. Your closest friend should be your spouse. You start getting close. That's where, uh, uh, that's where infidelity takes place. You start opening up yourself to, oh, I can't talk to my wife like you and all these other things that people say. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. Work on your marriage relationship. Work to be the best friends in the world. My wife and I are the closest of friends. And in that context, we work hard so that we can become whole in Christ. And that's important to always keep that in mind. You've crossed a boundary when you've done that. That's wrong. It's unhealthy. You can confide in other men, men and women in women, but not in the opposite sex like that. You can't have relationships like that once you're married. You don't do relationships like that when you're married. You shut those doors. I know, but my, my coworker needs help. You're not the one to help her. Send her to your wife. Or send her to a female in the church, if you're wise, if you understand the Scripture. That's, uh, so just, just a word of warning, keep that in mind. Here's what true friends are. True friends will always let you in and never let you down. Wow, that sounds pretty high bar. Yeah, yeah, it is. And none of us actually ever do that. Only Jesus does that for us. But, but out of what Jesus does for us, we need to work towards that. So always let you in. That's transparency. Never let you down. Constancy. We see that example found in Jesus, our closest friend, John 15, 12 through 15. As I was writing this out yesterday, there was a beautiful song that came to mind that, uh, that I remember singing growing up. Check these words out. They're wonderful as it relates to our friend, Jesus, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. There's no better, closer friend than Jesus. And it's out of that, then we can begin to cultivate the kind of relationship we need to have in our marriage. Here's the last one. This is, this is kind of that, that's, that, this is putting it all together here. If you'll help your spouse to love Jesus more than they love you. In other words, Jesus is their primary source of love. They're really, really, really close to Jesus. That's what you're trying to do. Then they'll love you sacrificially. Let me say it again. If you'll help your spouse to love Jesus more than they love you, then they'll love you. They'll love you well. They'll love you sacrificially. Let me end with a quote here. This is from the book, The Meaning of Marriage, Timothy and Kathy Keller. This is really, it's, it's a beautiful way that they put it. Within the Christian vision for marriage, here's what it means to fall in love. It is to look at another person and get a glimpse of the person God is creating and to say, I see who God is making you 
and it excites me. And I want to be a part of that. And I want to partner with you and God in the journey you are taking to his home. And when we get there, I will look at your magnificence and say, I always knew you could be like this. I got a glimpse of it on earth, but now look at you. See, in looking for a spouse, he goes on, he says, don't look for a finished statue, but for a wonderful block of marble. Not so you can create the kind of person you want, but rather because you see what kind of person Jesus is making. If you don't see your mate's deep flaws and weaknesses and dependencies, you're not even in the game. But if you don't get excited about the person your spouse has already grown into and will become, you aren't tapping into the power of marriage as spiritual friendship. Would you bow your heads with me? I would like to ask you to do something. If you're here and you're sitting next to your spouse, would you grab their hand? Grab a hold of their hand. And if you're here and uh, you're planning on getting married, you're engaged, grab the, that person's hand because this is also for you too. I'd like to pray for the marriages here at Desert Breeze. God, thank you for this message. What, what an amazing truth. You who love us with an everlasting love. You are so wise, God. We are blown away at, at the gospel and all that you do for us. And God, I pray for the marriages here at Desert Breeze and those that are, I know that there are many others that are going to be getting married here real soon within this next year that are kind of going through that process. God, I pray that they would all, we would all learn the secret of marriage, that it is the reenactment of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the gospel would so rock our world that we would have this unspeakable and glorious joy as a result that would overflow into our marriages. God, I pray that we would understand the power for marriage, that you would fill us with your presence and your power, that that who you are, Jesus, and what you've done for us would become more clear to our minds and real to our hearts. God, that we would understand the essence of marriage, this covenant love, that we would shut the back doors, we would go for the long haul, all the way out, that we would be committed till death do us part. And God, we would understand the mission of marriage, that we would cultivate such close friendship relationships with our spouses, that, uh, that we would seek wholeness and sanctification, and that you would produce in us all kinds of Christ-likeness, and, and God, that we would more and more live for your glory, that people would look at our marriages and they would be drawn to you through them, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Next weekend, the tools of marriage, the roles in marriage, singleness and marriage and sex and marriage. Look forward to seeing you next week. God bless you.